This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio on the Premier Automotive Service Podcast that covers business success, trends, stories, ideas, and interesting challenges to run a more successful and profitable business. We bring shop owners, coaches, technicians, consultants, authors to the podcast to help you be more successful in everything that you do. I love to talk to Derek Kaufman, my guest. Hello, Derek. Welcome, the managing partner at Schwartz Advisors. And I got to tell you, every time I lose track of what's going on in this crazy world of climate change and EVs and alternative fuels, I say, okay, I need my penicillin shot. And so I said, get me up to date, get our listeners up to date. So welcome, Derek. All the swirling, all the constant stuff about EVs and government mandates, renewable energy, and on and on. And I'm wondering, as I said, what's coming across your desk, because you're the research guy. I mean, you plugged in. And what do you see about this whole entire transition of us having to go to battery electric vehicles? Carmen, it's great to be with you again. And, and certainly as you ask that question, uh, it's a very interesting time. The first thing that comes to mind is what I've been talking to some of our clients about, and it's what I call the shot not heard around the world. So in March of this year, the European Union was finalizing its mandate. It had it all inked, eliminated the sale of internal combustion engines by 2035 in Europe. No more. But seven countries, and they were led by Germany, actually petitioned the, the, the commission for the allowance of e-fuels that could keep ice cars alive. And surprise, the EU commission blinked and they altered that mandate. And I think this has the potential really to absolutely change the path of EV penetration going forward. But I'll bet you that most people have very little about it. You know, if your car breaks down, where do you take it? To your locally trusted independent repair shop. What if your shop cannot access the vehicle data and only the manufacturer has access? But who owns the data? You, the vehicle owner, or the manufacturer? Well, join the fight to help support Right to Repair by completing the form at autocareadvocacy.org slash NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to Repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive, heavy-duty paint, and body industries. Tell us a little bit more about e-fuels. So e-fuels are derived from combining CO2 and hydrogen. You smash those two things together, you get synthetic methanol. And the cool thing about that is that it acts exactly like gasoline. You can refine it, you can pump it through pipes, uh, you can put it in the tank of your car and burn it. Just It is gasoline. What you do is you scrub CO2 out of the air and then you use electrolysis to separate hydrogen from water. You combine the two to make the methanol. Then you have to add a cetane enhancer to burn efficiency. So the engine's knocking. But the overall outcome is a gas that is essentially carbon neutral. So I think it can make ice engines near zero emission, meet those mandates, and travel right alongside electric vehicles going forward. So are you telling me that I would go to an e-fuels station, take the nozzle, put it in my tank and it would just work? Or do I have to start clean this engine, clean this tank and start from scratch? No, same engine you've got now and the same gas station you have now and the same tanks you have now. So it is a complete replacement for gasoline. That is absolutely the, the, the essential part of this thing. But there are complications obviously associated with it, right? I can imagine 
it was seventeen dollars a gallon today. Yeah, it will be expensive. You get it up into scale, and in order to get it to scale, is going to take a lot of electricity. So to make e-fuels carbon neutral, you need electricity to scrub the CO2 and to break down the hydrogen, and that needs to be renewable electricity. You can't burn coal to make e-fuels. You're you're not exactly sidestepping carbon at that point. So there. A company called HIA Coal kind of leading the charges, and they're down in, of all places, on this flat plain in the middle of Patagonia, down at the bottom of Chile. And they're there because the average wind speed on that plateau is 75 miles an hour. Ah, uh, so they're making their own electric. Ah, uh, yes. I had to look it up and say, really 75? And yes, really 75. So they're driving wind turbines to generate the electricity. And actually, Porsche is working with them to test the fuels in their high-performance engines. So you're right. It's a startup process now. So the, you know, the cost will be very high for a period of time, but 177 companies around the world have formed what they call the e-fuel alliance to ramp up that production. And they, they see it as a viable fuel for cars, commercial vehicles and, and aircraft. It's kind of interesting. If you look at that list of 177, it's interesting to see who's on the list, but almost more interesting to see who's not. But tier one suppliers, like Bosch and ZF and Siemens, Natera, but I think Porsche and Mazda are the only vehicle OEMs on that list. Wow. Why not every OEM? I think the answer to that is uh, political correct. Ah. I hate this, but e-fuels, just like you said in your opening statement, that you're not hearing a lot about this. E-fuels are not on the governmental plan. They are not in the renewable power narrative that you hear the press uh, and the administration and you know governments around the world talking about wind and solar. So OEMs, vehicle OEMs, would risk a negative governmental response, I think, if they get out of step with the total transition to battery electric vehicles. So, you know, someone who's promoting the extension of ICE power and, you know, could very likely lose favorable treatment on their investments in, you know, battery or other electric production. So I think that's my conspiracy hat on, Carm, but I think that's probably what's going on. Good conspiracy hat, because in my thinking, Mr. Kaufman, is that there's going to have to be pressure to find the bridge, in my opinion, between this 2020, 30, 20, 2035. And even if we go out and subsidize vehicles to run on that, someone in our illustrious government, political, I think you had mentioned, would maybe soften the approach and have other peoples get involved. So there could be a mix going forward. The beginning of anything always has this, ooh, you know, that must be magic. That's, ooh, don't talk to the man behind the curtain. You know, you're not supposed to know about that until 117 companies, things are going on. We have to have alternatives. How do we fill in the gaps? No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think there has to be a mix of near zero emission or carbon neutral fuels and full battery electric vehicles going forward. Let's just think about the commercial vehicle market for a second. So you have all kinds of things going on there, renewable diesel, biodiesel, hydrogen and fuels diesel, and pure hydrogen fuel cells. And they're all near zero emission solutions. And they really make a lot of sense, more sense than hauling a bunch of heavy batteries around, you know, on a class eight truck. But they're also all dependent on clean electricity. So the grid, obviously, and you hear these concerns, but the grid is going to need to grow quite a bit to handle e-fuels and all of these other renewable commercial vehicle fuels. So the grid, I keep thinking about that. Never thought 
enough about how if we all tomorrow flipped a switch and we were all EVs, that the grid wouldn't handle it. But you have a different opinion of that. You won't be surprised, Carmen, that I actually think about that a lot. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I don't know why. It's your job. <laughs> yeah, just my brain, I guess. But I'm not really concerned about the grid growing. I am over the next five years because I think it's going to be a real struggle with the speed of transition. But I think, you know, if you think about the supply of transformers and all the other infrastructure, it's going to be an ugly five-year period, at least here. But think about the history of the grid in the United States. So since like 1960, the grid's grown over 400%, I think 442%, about 70% each decade, our power demand has gone up and the grid has stayed right there. And now going forward, the thing that I'm confused about is there's so many different opinions. So some of the more classic ones are we're going to need 60% more power to be at 88% battery electric cars uh, by 2050. The others say, no, we're going to need 2x. Elon Musk uh, came out just a few weeks ago and said, no, we're going to need 3x. We're generating about 4 trillion kilowatt hours uh, of energy each year in the United States. He's suggesting that we need 12. I'd say, okay, I'm going to go with the middle ground and say, no, we need 2x. So that's about a 100% increase, right, in 30 years. So that's 33% a decade. And we've already demonstrated that we can grow 70%. So, you know, we can do it. The key is what generates the power. So today we're 20% coal and 40% natural gas, 20% nuclear and 20% renewables, wind and solar. And of course we want to eliminate the coal. We want to reduce the natural gas and we want to up the renewables. That's the narrative. I think it's wrong, <laughs> but I think that's probably the topic of another podcast. Oh, fair enough. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Anytime that brain overworked, you say, oh, got to tell this to Carm, got to tell this to Carm. But yeah, yeah. I guess I'm a little confused about what you're saying is that the capacity is there, but do we have to build more plants? Well, it's we do need to build more plants, but we're moving from standard utility grid, centralized utilities, Duke Energy, Consumers Power, that, that type of thing, to a more distributed mix. And as we go forward, we're trying at Schwartz Adv Advisors to forecast what this penetration model is and what that demand on the grid is going to be. So while others are talking about the fact that we're flipping over to 100% battery electric vehicles by you know 2035, or 2040, we're actually showing in our forecast that we're still at roughly a 50-50 mix. We're at 52% battery electric vehicles all the way out in 2050. We just think that just the, the geography of the United States suggests that these low emission or carbon neutral fuels will keep ice engines in the game. And in trucks, we're even lower than that. So we're probably 25, 26% of the VIO in heavy trucks by a battery power, I mean, by 2050. You are bucking the trends of every headline I read. It's uh, absolutely true. <laughs> but I'll say this, that I believe in the cycles. You mentioned cycle here a couple minutes ago, and I'm going to pick up on that. So we promote a change to solve some world problem. It used to be that you promoted that as a positive statement and you gave benefits and all the value proposition. Today, we don't do that. 
what we do is we construct a whole set of crisis statements that the world's going to end if we don't do this. So we drive climate change statements up that curve and we're all going to die in 12 years or whatever it is. And we get to the, the very peak of that and we begin to come down the curve now because it starts to dawn on us that the mining of all the materials for batteries and the pouring of all that concrete for all the posts. I mean, concrete is a big contributor to greenhouse gases in the world. So pouring all that, covering the earth with solar panels, putting you know windmills out in the oceans. We're actually in the process of killing the environment to save the climate. So once that settles in and we kind of bottom out on the curve now, we begin to find different ways to solve the problem. And, and that's what I see happening now. So I don't see this as we're going to do e-fuels or we're going to do battery drive. I see absolutely the two technologies complementing each other going forward. Lots of applications out there where batteries are simply not the best solution. Big trucks and aircraft, industrial equipment, but super efficient engines burning carbon neutral fuel, perfect. So we see a very large percentage of the VIO going 52% uh, to battery electric, but we see ICE engines hanging in there for sure. It's Carm here talking to you about what the Napa Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the Napa brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show that nearly 95% of consumers recognize Napa and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete a pro-image upgrade and take advantage of that? ProImage is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. While the public may know you as a reliable locally owned business, a ProImage upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It's also a visual signal to customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, Pro Image really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed a Pro Image project enjoy an average 23% sales increase during the first year. Pro Image upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A Pro Image interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a pro image exterior or interior upgrade could look like by visiting the Napa Auto Care members site and clicking on the pro image link under the Napa Pro Image tab. Or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about pro image, plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care family, the largest network of independent automotive repair shops in the country. I think everyone who's listening to this podcast, who's read anything on e-fuels, should say, interesting, this is going to come into the mix. It's going to be so different. It's going to be an opportunity to not to have to rush to where we have to go. We can continue to invest in all of our assets, our trucks, our vehicles. We'll, okay, we'll pay a little bit more for some e-fuel. Okay, we can survive. We can, who knows? No one even can tell us what the miles per gallon may be for that. And who knows? Maybe there's a trade there. I don't know. But <laughs> you have given me more things to think about. When I wake up at two o'clock tomorrow morning and I can't sleep, I'm calling you. I'm calling you and saying, you made my brain like Swiss cheese and all this think. So there's got to be some positive in all of this. How do you see it helping shops? 
Well, look, I think, first of all, the mix of ice and, and battery electric absolutely helps shops because it keeps you in the game for what you're doing today. I think the other thing, though, Carm, is we need to understand that shops are in a in a very unique position now where computational power that we have with computers is rising at a exponential rate. So shops are going to be able to ride this mixture of ice and battery electric vehicles, and they're going to have some new tools to help them do it. And I'm talking about, obviously, artificial intelligence. So if there's something else on radar, we're trying to get a real handle on the positives and, you know, the negatives or the real potential problems of artificial intelligence going forward. No doubt. We have talked about AI machine learning a lot. I mean, some of our podcasters on our network have handled this. And I really think that we're going to have to learn how to deal with that. I don't think there's an easy answer for this stuff until no different how we would read a scope, we would read an answer from an AI. Wow. Yeah, I just find it so interesting, you know, to think about all the numbers of ways that a customer can come into your shop and tell you their car is down on power. You know, so my car hesitates, my car stumbles, my car has no pickup, my car has won't go up hills faster or whatever. I'm sure there's a hundred other ways that, you know, shops have heard the same complaint. But with AI, obviously, you take a few million records of that are in a database and you normalize that English language with uh, artificial intelligence, you smash it together with machine learning. And all of a sudden, you'll pop out an answer that 95% you're, the answer to this issue is the mass airflow sensor. You know? <laughs> so, you know, if you think about what Mitchell One with, with SureTrack is doing, and they're, they're working with Predis doing the normalization of the language, understanding that, and just going through millions of ROs to do it, I think that's a super positive side. And I think the negative side is all about how you apply it. I see a lot of shops kind of playing with the thought of using AI in CRM. So if we can kind of automate someone like give and take with a customer, get them in, get them signed in and car up on schedule and that type of thing, you know, maybe I can have more efficiency. Well, and I think that that's really possible, but I think there are some issues here, some negative side too. I think AI is challenging our software brainiacs, you know, these people that sit behind their computer and write all this great code for us. I think they're going to really help us, as you said, take all that data that we have, all the knowledge we have on that vehicle, what the OE standard maintenance programs would be, what our shop capabilities are, what the customer wants to do with that vehicle and give us an answer in a quick and being able to formulate service procedures, uh, you know, you'd like the car to last 210,000 miles. Great. Let's put that number in and go through everything and let it come back to us. And now what we have to do as humans is we have, have to have the right talent. We have to have the right people with the right training and the right tools. And we could go to work on that, having AI machine learning as a another tool in that toolbox for us. I'd like to argue against it occasionally, only on a personal basis, because it seems to me that there's too much out there. So this past weekend, I was shopping for something at a Lowe's in a town that I was in. But there's also a Lowe's in the town that I live in. So I picked up the phone. I called them. And of course, what happened is an AI person answered the phone. But I was 
pissed, Derek, that that was going on because I wanted to speak to somebody and get an answer in a short. But I was fascinated to want to see how intelligent and smart and if Lowe's really cared about my phone call. I let him go. I ended up getting a chance to speak to a person within about 40 seconds. Some people, it goes on forever, right? But I think what we have to do is let's not be closed-minded to AI. Let's open our mind. Let's, what do you like? What don't you like? And be sure that anything you bring into your own business in the form of AI to support you does it the way you want, not the way they want. It is all at some point about the right mix of automation and human interface. So I'll match your story. So getting ready for this podcast, I'm nervous because I've lost power. Today's Tuesday. Uh, We lost power last Thursday night. We had seven tornadoes in the southern Michigan area and just a ton of damage with trees down. So we lose power. And of course, I lose my Comcast internet. And I see AI applied correctly with one company and incorrectly with the other company. Because with consumers energy, they have just a brilliant tracking mechanism. They send me a text that says, we recognize your power is down. Here's where you are on a forced process. You're in step number one, we're, we're signing crews uh, you know, to your area uh, when you get to Step two, you know that a crew is investigating, has been assigned. Number three is they're actually working on it. Number four is resolution. It is brilliant. It keeps you up to date. You don't need to interact with it because it's giving you information. And by the way, we have a track record of losing power a lot around here. We know that it's very accurate with the consumer's power. Comcast Internet, on the other hand, has horrible AI. So that comes on. First of all, it doesn't tell you. You have to go into an outage map. It then tells you that you're not putting your address in correctly. It just frustrates the heck out of you and then begins giving you estimates and they're always wrong. So by the end of it, I'm like the guy in the office space. You know, I want to smash the printer. I want to smash my modem from Comcast. I'm so frustrated. So when I think about AI, I think in terms of robots and cobots. So you can, in your warehouse, you can put robots in and completely mechanize everything in the warehouse. Or you can put cobots in that assist humans in doing certain tasks. I think it's the same in shops. I'd rather see AI cobots that come in and bring efficiency to you, maybe make your folks more accurate in their diagnosis of things, make them faster doing it, but never take away that personal connection. I always tell the story, Carm, I think I've told it on your podcast before, but I get my car serviced at Verberg's Automotive Service in Grand Rapids. Al Schwinkendorf is the owner and Rachel is the service writer. And Rachel is a genius. She knows everything about cars and she's just absolutely great at understanding those hundred different ways to tell her something's wrong with a car. She paraphrases my problem statement, right? She's accurate on when the work can start, how much it's going to cost. She keeps in touch. Yesterday, I have my car in the shop right now. Yesterday at the the end of the day, uh, she calls to check in and says, we're not quite done. We're going to take one more today to do this, but here's exactly where we are. So can you bottle up Rachel's knowledge and her great personality with an AI solution that helps her do that even better. That's the winning solution of AI going forward. Yeah, I love it. Bottle up, Rachel. I have a question about the answer that Comcast would have given you. They kept giving you times and they were wrong. What if they said to you, we are still not sure of any kind of uptime? Would you be more satisfied? 
Consumers Power comes and says, we're investigating. That tells me there's somebody on it. They've recognized our down or outage and somebody's thinking about us. And we've got a crew in the field and I live in the woods and I've got a wire that comes through the woods. I'm kind of on the uh, first name basis with the lead boss on the truck that comes to fix it. And we take them out coffee in the cold winter nights when they come. So yeah, it can be done right and it can be done incorrectly. And we've got to find the, the right solution. Everybody needs to understand that with AI, everything is fed in. It's not out searching the internet for answers. All the data has been fed into ChatGPT. And if we go in the aftermarket just in a willy-nilly way and we have all shops just pinging ChatGPT on different issues, we'll ruin this and actually go backwards, I think. If we structure it, yeah, if we structure it, we're going to be good. Matt Fonzo did a podcast on that. And as a diagnostician, the benefits and the non-benefits that he sees we can have from that. As always, every time you and I get together, it goes way beyond what our expectations were, at least my expectations were on uh, trying to figure out what the heck's going on with all these mandates and see, yeah, there's a little government here. There's some technology going on here. There's some what's going on in the EU. Does the U.S. look at what's going on in the EU? And 2030, 2035, 2050, we are in such an interesting evolution. And I think you cleared it up for us. The next time you have anything going on with that, with e-fuels, please let me know because I know you've got your ear to the ground. Yeah, glad to do it, Carm. My ongoing statement is that I'll put my bets on capitalism and technological advances. Take that to the bank, everyone. This was great. And by the way, there were a couple of glitches on the internet with Derek. And so I apologize here in the virtual studio if we got a couple of his words, but I know the essence of our discussion is perfect. Derek Kaufman, thank you. Thank you. Managing partner, Schwartz Advisors. Appreciate all your great wisdom, sir. As always, Carm. See you next time. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 